0: Alice had quite a story to tell years ago. She got up and went to work just like normal, but it was not a normal day. She was a cleaning lady. She took pride in her work because she was a part of a cleaning crew that cleaned the Palace of Westminster in London, which serves as the uh, meeting place for the two houses of Parliament in the UK and this was a busy day for the palace. It was the beginning of the legislative session and every legislative session began with a visit from the Queen and of course we've heard over the last few weeks so many stories about the life of Queen Elizabeth II uh, queen Elizabeth on these days would wear her crown and her robe and she would process down, uh, process down a hallway lined with the queen's guards uh, who would literally strike the stone walls with their swords to produce sparks as she walked. She would walk to the end of the hallway with, to the house of lords where the, the queen would take her seat and she would address on her throne the legislators of her people to serve her people. This was the way they began. And several years ago, um, they made a a little bit of a change to break tradition a bit. Uh, The queen in her older age was not able to go up the staircase that led to this floor and uh, it became too much for her to climb so they decided to start using the elevator and on the first year that they did this, uh, writes Robert Cunningham who shared this story, they got on the elevator and they made a mistake, someone pushed the wrong button. Rather than opening to the entrance to Parliament, they went to a maintenance floor, and as the doors opened, Alice from the cleaning crew with her head down pushed her cleaning cart into the elevator like she had done countless times before. Well, this time she pinned the Queen of England to the back of the small elevator. She uttered a word that is not befitting the presence of royalty, and there was awkward silence. No one knew what to do. The silence was finally broken by the queen's uncontrollable laughter, and she made a decision. She said... To, to close the elevator doors uh, instead of opening them back up for Alice to go to, her, to back to the maintenance floor she said take us to the right floor and they took us to the took them to the floor of Parliament and the doors opened, and to everyone's shock out walked her Majesty the Queen in her regalia and Alice the cleaning lady in her maintenance uniform and they processed down the royal hallway together and even better, once a year for the rest of Alice's life, she would meet with the queen for high tea in Buckingham Palace once, once a year. Can you imagine that? It's quite a story, maybe even a legend, I, I don't know, but imagine if you met the queen, or, or imagine, imagine if you met the king, and not just the king of England, I'm talking about the king of all creation, the, the king of the universe, could you imagine that? You'd have quite a story to tell, wouldn't you? I think you would and yet according to a 2021 Lifeway research study um, while 79% of people who don't go to church say that they don't mind if their Christian friends talk about their beliefs 40% have never heard a Christian explain their beliefs or why they go to church or how to become a Christian. Uh, a little over half, about 55% of those people who attend church at least once a month, they found in the survey, have not shared their Christian faith with anyone in the last six months, which is really just kind of a, a shame, honestly, because there's so many wonderful stories that we could share, stories of God's love and grace and, and forgiveness and generosity, good news that we could share for a change. And so I thought, what if over the next several weeks, what if I invite you to the witness booth for just a moment? What if, what if I invited you to come and share your story about meeting the king of the universe? And what if I was like a court stenographer, you know, the, the person that kind of sits off to the side and takes notes about everything that's said, you know, and, and heard your story about the king and your meeting of this king? Do you know what your shorthand testimony would be? Uh, When you came in this morning, you may have seen on the seats around you this bookmark. Hopefully you found one of these around you. But on one side of it, if you flip it over from the colored side to the black and white side, you'll see some interesting writing there. This is, uh, this is shorthand. Kind of what you might expect in a courtroom, you know, the kind of language they use to capture words and phrases and do it in a very fast way. It's, it's not a full book. It's not a massive life story. It's not an epic tale. It's just a simple kind of a shorthand uh, story in which you are a character. And this morning, you know, you've got this here if you want. You can sort of trace this shorthand, kind of get used to it as you're, you know, bored by the sermon you're listening to, you know? But today we're, we're beginning a sermon series that we're calling Shorthand Testimony. It's from Acts 22 to uh, about Acts 26, and it these t- highlight the, the five defense scenes of Paul near the end of the book of Acts. And we want to highlight that, but even more, we want to talk about... Uh, ways to develop our testimony to share with other people what does that look like because if you've met the king you have a story to share a faith story I'm sure it's got ups and downs it, the, the truth is though uh, it's powerful it, it, it needs to be extended into this community a community that hears more and more wrong things about Jesus you have a story to tell as Revelation 12 so graphically paints it, John there writes that the believers, they, they triumphed over the devil, he said, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You have a story to share about meeting the king, but, but do you know what you'd say? If someone corners you at work this week and says, why, why do you believe all this stuff about Jesus? <laughs> do you know what you'd say? Or if you uh, get home after church today and your your neighbor calls out over the fence, why did you go there this morning? What would you say? What do you say when you stand in the court of public opinion? What is your shorthand testimony? Let's let's focus in on what paul had to say in acts chapter 22 if you've got a, a bible or a bible app you want to open up there paul when he stood before the, the court of public opinion he had a, a short, her, short hand testimony that he shared uh, up to this point in acts 21 paul ha- had been traveling all over the roman world he'd been uh, preaching about jesus he'd been starting new churches but he felt compelled to get to jerusalem and and when he got there the, the church welcomed him warmly but the Jewish leaders they misunderstood his mission they thought he was blaspheming the law they thought he was desecrating the temple uh, they thought in fact that a non-Jewish person named Trophimus that he allowed into the Jewish temple that was a big no-no and so the mob got angry and the mob got uh, well they got gathered together and they grabbed Paul and they began to beat the light, the life out of him vigilante justice So much so that a Roman commander had to come in and take Paul away and carry him out so he wouldn't get hurt. Get rid of him, the crowd kept shouting. And yet Paul urged the commander to let him speak to his fellow Jews on the steps of the Jewish temple. He walked into the court of public opinion to share his shorthand testimony. And I want you to notice the rhythm of his faith story, which I think can help shape our story as well. First, he begins with his life apart from Jesus. Look at with me. Acts, we'll start at Acts 21, verse 40 now. Uh, Luke writes, After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd, and when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And when they heard his, them uh, speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, in Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way, the the way of Jesus, to their death Arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul began his story rooted in his Jewish upbringing. He shares the story in Aramaic, the everyday language of, of everyday people and he connects his experiences to theirs. Born in Tarsus, reared in Jerusalem, educated under Grimaliel. That, that kind of formula, born and reared and educated, was a common formula in Greek writings. And it, it tells the story of the son of a probably an educated and an aristocratic family. His father was a Roman citizen after all. Paul probably began to learn the Jewish law around the age of five. Began to learn other Pharisaic traditions around his 10th birthday. Probably be, went off to study uh, how to teach others the law around 13 his family appears to come to Jerusalem when he was young, they supported his faith, they supported his education. Paul was no marginal Jewish believer from some far-away Roman city. He nurtured his Jewish faith in the shadow of this temple. He's not a lawbreaker. He's not a temple desecrator. He's so zealous in his Jewish faith he even pushed for the death of those who followed Jesus as the Messiah. This was his life apart from Jesus. What about yours? What was your life like apart from Jesus? Did you pursue other faiths? Maybe the faith of your family, maybe it was uh, Muslim for you growing up, or Hindu, or New Age, or no faith at all. Maybe you pursued other zealous things in your life, other passions you you were running for, you were trying to become the high school football champion the most popular person in school, maybe for you is the escapist pleasures of drugs and alcohol or, or the, the consuming conquest of more and more sexual partners. Maybe that was what, you, what your life was like or maybe you grew up in a faithful Christian home and you didn't wander down any of those roads but you still had to make this faith your own. What's your shorthand testimony? Let me offer a, a shorthand tip for your story connect with the people that you're talking to did you notice in the story Paul spoke their language he spoke Aramaic he he didn't use the educated Greek of the philosophers he could have he, he didn't use the the complicated Hebrew of the, of the uh, rabbis he could have he spoke their heart language as he shared his story and so should you when you share your testimony with friends and family and neighbors and schoolmates and all the rest. Well, speak their language. Avoid churchy terms. Do you know there are terms that we use in church that nobody else in the world uses? Fellowship. If you didn't grow up in the church, you have no idea what that word means. Pretty much any word that ends in ship, discipleship, what's that? you know stewardship all the you know avoid some of that language use common words for people to understand everyday words just as Jesus took on flesh to share with us the love of God so meet people on common ground when you share the story of the love of God in your life i grew up on pretty common ground i remember as a small child my family lived in a double wide trailer in farmington illinois big wheels and basketball were my religion of choice (laughs) look at that guy that's a pretty much a prototypical Illinois picture isn't it corn in the background Uh, my family uh, we had a good upbringing Uh, my dad was a coach and a basketball coach so the gym became our temple on Friday nights you know and my family was um, was happy enough. Uh, here's my sister and I. Apparently, I'm wearing my dad's clothes for some reason. Uh, we had a good upbringing. Um, I, I wouldn't change my childhood, but but church, honestly, church was something we very infrequently attended, um, and and for me, it was just so infernally boring. No thanks. I'm fine. Paul seemed just fine too. But notice how the rhythm of his faith story changes in verse 6 with this awakening to Jesus. About noon, he says, As I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. And my companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. This part of the story begins to sound like Acts chapter 9, but there we got Luke's perspective on the story. Here we get to hear Paul's shorthand testimony through his own words. And what he highlights is the light, this At noon, the brightest part of the day, this bright light in broad daylight is so powerful Paul fell to the ground and is blinded and of course Paul believed this was not just any mere light, this was a theophany, this was was the presence of God himself. Patrick Schreiner who was here with us last week points this out in his new commentary on Acts that there's a reference to light and darkness and noon in this story and it echoes some of the curse language from the prophet Isaiah centuries before about those who had been disloyal to the covenant, who had been rebellious against God. Isaiah said, like the blind we grope along the wall fleeing or feeling our way like people without eyes at at midday, at noon, we stumble as if it were twilight, as if it were darkness among the strong we are like the dead Paul see he recognized in this moment of light that he'd been walking in darkness but now a light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it Paul literally sees the light he knows God has appeared to him but the voice of God was unexpected Paul thought he was doing just fine you see but then he gets rebuked this voice says why do you persecute me but he can't seem to make out the voice. Who are you, Lord? He said. I, I, think, I think the word Kurios, Lord, may have just been used here as a sign of respect. Who, who are you, sir? Who are you? What's this voice? And then comes the clarification. I am Jesus of Nazareth. Do you hear it? I am. The Greek phrase, ego, a me. It's the same language that God used to Moses in the burning bush. I am who I am. This is the King Almighty. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end and the Savior and the Redeemer and the prophet, priest, and king. This is the Good Shepherd and the Lamb of God. This is the author and finisher of our faith. This is the Word and the rock and the true vine and the branch and the lion of the tribe of Judah and the, the way the truth and the life God's voice booming in Paul's ears was the voice of Jesus have you met him have you awakened to his presence in your life have you heard his voice do you know him see if not I hope today is the day and I would love to introduce you I'd love for you to hear who this Jesus is and if you have met him If you have met him, how did God shine in your life with the brilliance of Jesus? Maybe it was around a campfire at church camp when suddenly you heard about this Jesus who died for you and who rose from the grave and it's because he loves you and he forgives you and he wants you to be in relationship with him from now and forever. Maybe that's where you met him. Or maybe you met him in the valley of the shadow of death. You hit rock bottom. But even in the darkness of your worst day, Jesus showed up. He was alive and he's willing and he's forgiving and he's compassionate and you met him there. Maybe your journey was a long, slow journey with lots of questions and lots of doubt. Maybe it was a quick turnaround or one minute you didn't trust him and the next minute you did. Maybe He was younger in life for you. Maybe He was older in life. Maybe you met him in guilt or shame or maybe in the words of Gordon Cosby, you were seized by the power of a great affection. I don't know. But like Paul, your next question was, what shall I do, Lord? And I think Paul, this time when he says Lord, means God, Master, King. What do you want me to do? And like Paul, you followed his command. Maybe, maybe you walked down the aisle at church, or maybe you jumped into the swimming pool at camp to be baptized, or you, you talked to a Christian friend, and, and you repeated a confession of faith, and you prayed, and you came to church. Or, or as the song says, I repented of my sins and won the victory. What's your shorthand testimony? Uh, let me offer you uh, a little shorthand hint or clue for your story. Focus on the one that you follow now. Paul. As he began his story, began identifying closely with his Jewish hearers and talked to them about their common life, but at this point in the story, he diverged as he began to talk about his new Lord, his new Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, and so should you. When you begin your your short-term testimony with others, maybe you begin on common ground, but as you share your story with friends and roommates and acquaintances, don't forget the main hero of your story. Sometimes we get real fixated on what I've done, who I was and what I did and now where I'm at and I and I and I. Don't skimp on the hero of the story. Tell of Jesus. Lift him up. See, when I was about 10 years old, uh, my family moved to Ocala, Florida. Pray for the people of Florida, will you, this week? And the Carolinas and all the rest. Lots of stories of people who are struggling, some who are Southsiders. Jeff Chitwood, I heard this morning, doing okay and trying to help the church down there. Pray for the churches and the Chitwoods and those that you know and love there too. But When I was a kid, we moved there. This was the middle of the 1980s and um, began to feel a little bit of disruption in our sort of comfortable life. Here's me buried to my neck in sand in my new home. You know, trying to feel out the lay of the land, you know? And in this disruption we as a family decided to try to find a church to attend and we went to this church and um, they had this thing called Sunday school and I went to this Sunday school class and was hearing these stories and, and about the Bible and I got to know this uh, youth minister who was there and, and uh, my family and, and he and I, we talked together and, and uh, I began to wake up to a God of love and a God of grace. I was seized by the power of a great affection. I, I did not see a blinding light as I recall. I did not hear a voice, but I met Jesus. I met this living king, full of compassion and forgiveness who accepted me as I, as I was and as I am, who, who was brilliant, who was smart and powerful. I was, I was so captivated, I was immersed in baptism on a Sunday morning at church. I guess I did see a bright light because when I came out of the baptistry, those lights are right in my eyes, you know? And I became his. Paul did too. And notice the the final rhythm of his faith story as he describes now his life with Jesus in verse 12. He says, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And he stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him and then he said the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard and now what are you waiting for get up, be baptized and wash your sins away calling on his name presumably that's what Paul did and then he says in verse 17 when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. As soon as Paul regained his sight, as soon as he dried off from the baptistry, He had a mission. His conversion catapulted him into a commission. And in a lot of ways, he mirrors Isaiah the prophet's experience. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah was in the Jewish temple and he saw a vision. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. Paul is in the Jewish temple and he sees a vision. It's the face of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Both were given a mission, God gave Isaiah the mission and a message to his wayward nation and God gives a message to Paul to the faraway nations. Both were told that people would resist their message, Isaiah was to face the resistance and stay in the city, Paul was told to leave the city, but both were given the work toward making disciples of Almighty God and so are you, so are you. If you've experienced the righteous one, if you've had your sins washed away, if, like Hebrews 6 says, you've been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, then you have a role in making disciples of all nations. You are needed in this church family to make Jesus known to this community and the whole world. And it begins with your story. Let me give you a shorthand tip for your story. Share what abundant life with Jesus looks like. Paul's experience with Jesus immediately connected him with a timely mentor named Ananias. And um, Ananias graciously welcomed him. Did you hear the language? Brother Saul, he included him. He helped in his healing, receive your sight. He challenged him, get up, be baptized, wash away your sins. And you can do those same things too. Your presence, your story can do the same for others. Welcoming others with the love of God. Helping to heal others from all the trauma that people are facing these days. Challenging them, next steps in their faith. Here's what you need to do. Help people to see Christianity isn't just a decision. It's a way of life. It's not made simply in isolation. It's in a community. It's not just about after death. It's about life right now. My family began to understand this in Florida, but we only lived there one year. My dad's job wasn't working out like he hoped, so we moved back to Illinois, almost as if God moved us all the way to Florida to meet him there. We moved back to a little town called Robinson, Illinois, the home of the Heath candy bar. It's the county seat of Crawford County. I know you've heard about it, it's a big deal. And we began to attend a church called the Highland Church of Christ there. And I got to know so many people. My Aunt Ananias, his name was Brandon, and Rich, and Carol, and Tom, and Mark, and Joe, and Mandy, and Don, and Shirley, and the list goes on and on and on and on. I made some deep friendships. I learned the scriptures, and yes, I was even in Bible Bowl. Look at that fat tie that kid's wearing. My goodness. was challenged in that church I served in that church they asked me to preach in that church, that was a horrible experience who would ever want to preach the truth is I have a huge family now brothers and sisters in faith in Jesus Christ beyond counting, I, I can lean on I can serve, I can be challenged by and you are a part of that family and it is sweet Paul offered a shorthand testimony in the court of public opinion. It was a beautifully crafted story, but still his mention of his mission to the non-Jewish gentiles, it triggered the crowd and led them to start shouting, rid the earth with him. He's not fit to live. Not exactly what you hope for when you share your story with people. But it's probably a good reminder your story may it may not get any better of a response but your role is to share your story, not script the response. Your job is to step into the witness stand and share the testimony of what you know is true in the court of public opinion, and you don't have to worry about what people think or say or feel or shout or offended by. And when you do that, your Father will be so proud of you. So begin to think about your shorthand testimony. What will you say when asked to give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus? I think a part of your testimony, a part of your calling is even found in this this bookmark. Maybe maybe you've traced a little bit of this today or thought this was interesting. Maybe you've traced the shorthand or maybe even no shorthand. Special thanks to uh, Judy Leonard for helping us shape this today. No shorthand, but... If you've surrendered to Jesus, this shorthand applies to you. In fact, let me translate it for you. You can even write it on the other side of this bookmark if you want to keep it with you. This comes right out of Acts 22, verse 15. Here's what it says. You will be his witness to all people. You will be his witness to all people. That's who you are. So step into the witness stand this week. And share your story. The world needs to hear it. Let's take a moment to listen to Brenda Hamilton's shorthand testimony this morning. Will you watch the screens?
1: My name is Brenda, and I was raised in the church, strong Christian family. And in the midst of that, I opted to go to Christian college to to go into youth ministry. This was the late 70s. Uh, I was told, basically, I needed to change my major. Um, At the time, women still were not supposed to do that kind of thing. I was supposed to do Christian education. I wanted to work directly with kids, not administer. So after a year, I opted to leave. In the midst, because of that disillusionment that I got with the church, I walked away from church. I walked away from God for about six or seven years. Uh, In the middle of that, I met, reconnected with a friend of mine from high school, a guy. We dated for about five years. Uh, He introduced me to fun things like drugs and alcohol. And we ended up getting married it lasted a year, and then we divorced. So within a matter of about, oh, six years, I did three things I swore I would never do. I would never use drugs, I would never use alcohol, and I would never divorce. I was fortunate enough being raised in a Christian family to have a strong, a strong foundation to work from. So when my life fell apart, I knew where to go. I had a family who was welcoming and open to me coming back and I rebuilt um, I then remarried. We have two daughters, both adults. Uh, In the midst of all that pain, I thought, why would God even want to take me back? I, I messed this up. I knew better. I knew I shouldn't be doing this, but I did it anyway. But I also knew that he would take me back and he did. So in talking to people who aren't believers, who feel that they've done way too much, done it all wrong, and there's no way God would take them back, there's hope. And that's so lacking today in our society. They need hope. They need to know it's okay. I'm far enough away from it now that people will look at me and go, oh, there's no way. Which also offers hope because it's like you can get away from it far enough that unless you're willing to talk about it, Nobody's gonna know, but we need to talk about it. We need to know each other's stories. Satan loves things in the dark. So if you're not willing to talk about it, he's gonna use that as a tool. He's gonna try and humiliate you. He's going to do his best to shame you. Don't, and then God will use it. Looking back, I'd look at it and go, how is God gonna use this? And I've seen him use it over and over and over again. And the people I've come in contact with, people I've worked with, If I hadn't had my story, and that's not to say that that's what God wanted me to do, He just took what I did and now can use it in a way that I never would have imagined. I see His fingerprints all over it, and I can share that with people too. I have seen God's hand work in so many ways in my life that at the time it's like, how in the world? How in the world?